please remain standing, which you, most of you are, that's great, to hear the word of the Lord. Our passage uh, comes today from a couple different places. The first one would be from Matthew 6, um, and then the next will be from Leviticus 19. Um, so you just have to listen. Okay, for the first one, Matthew 6, verses 9 to 12, and then 14 to 15. Hear the word of the Lord. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Verse 14, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And the next passage will be from Leviticus chapter 19, verses 17 to 18. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am your Lord. Please be seated and may God bless the reading of his word. Okay, well good morning everyone. Or should I say, uh, Vitime? Is that, is that it, Krzyzczak? Okay, yeah, my, my Polish is not very good either, so it's just my feeble attempt. But uh, yes, it's good to uh, be here and uh, to continue to talk about the Lord's Prayer in this series that we've been going through uh, on Sundays. And I'm just very, um, yeah, very, very glad to just be able to talk about this as I've been trying to apply this in my own life. Um, but before I do that, uh, I want to just talk a little bit about uh, our membership meeting from last week. And just, I'm a little bit curious, I just want to get a, uh, just a very, very casual head count, but how many of you were there at our members meeting last Sunday? Can I see a show of hands? All right, okay, I won't ask you to raise your hands if you weren't there, okay? <laughs> so it's not a shaming thing. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, it's, it's helpful just to kind of see um, who was there. And uh, the reason why I want to talk about that is because um, last week at the members meeting, uh, we realized not everyone was there, but we want to highlight, or I want to just briefly um, reiterate something that was talked about and discussed at the meeting, uh, namely our uh, church's vision and efforts towards multiplication, church planting. And I, I just thought it was really kind of cool that uh, our bulletin, you know, today has Mature and Multiply. Um, but I want to just read to you just a quick verse. John chapter 12 says that unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it rains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And what I shared uh, last week at the, the members' meeting was that I believe that this verse that Jesus talks about is not only a principle of the Christian life, but it's also a principle for the church as well. Uh, that uh, the Christian life, a life of discipleship, is constantly dying to ourselves and seeking to put God's glory and His kingdom agenda above our personal agenda and personal gain. Uh, C.S. Lewis uh, once said this about the church, but he said that 
The church is the only institution in the world that exists primarily for the benefit of the people outside of it. And this is a very different paradigm or way that sometimes we think about church, that we exist primarily for the people who are outside of these walls. Um, when I first came to our church, CFC, um, I had absolutely no intention of being a church planter. Um, at our first EM leadership advance, I remember that I had cast a vision, a kingdom vision that I thought was consistent with Pastor Aang's vision for church planting, planting church, planting churches. And someone at the advance, I forget who, asked me, well, who's going to do that? And my immediate response was, well, I have no idea, but we have to pray. And we have to ask God and seek God for his wisdom and his guidance. But what I shared was since that time, uh, I felt an increasing desire and burden to help lead that effort. And um, I love CFC and I love pastoral ministry. And I was just telling Joyce uh, right before our service that um, what has, you know, what has made pastoral ministry so, so enjoyable is you guys. This church right here. Uh, you guys are, uh, I mean, honestly, we are a very, very blessed church filled with so many great people. And uh, it's just made the joy uh, increase so much in my life. But I've also experienced a desire to be part of a multiplication effort to see more and more churches planted throughout the SGV, Los Angeles, and all over the world. And so I'm currently seeking to discern what my role is in this vision that God has put in my heart. And I would say this, that nothing is certain at this point. But um, I've expressed to the board, uh, Pastor Ang, Paul, the board, that I am designed to uh, discern God's will and seeking assessment to affirm whether uh, I am to lead this church planting effort. And I believe that the best assessment always comes through the local church. And that's you guys. And so really I invite you to share your insights and those things, um, but I'm also seeking assessment of our denomination, the EFCA, and seasoned church planters who can also identify these things. So this is a direction that uh, we are prayerfully seeking and pursuing. And I just want to say that I'm very deeply appreciative of Pastor Aang, Paul, Yi, and the board for their tremendous support and willingness to seek uh, God's kingdom in prayer. Um, I realize that this opens some questions and uh, we had a time of that at the members meeting last Sunday, but since not everyone was there, what we want to do is we want to give an opportunity to address whatever questions or thoughts that you may have. And so at our next EM luncheon, uh, next Sunday after service, uh, we are going to invite you. We're going to have like a sort of an informal town hall type of forum, and we're going to invite you to share and ask any questions that you have about this. And uh, we'll be as upfront and honest as possible in terms of what we know and understand at this point. And uh, finally, one thing I just want to say is that none of this will be possible without the steady, fervent prayer of the church. So please join in prayer in asking God 
uh, for his leadership and direction, and most of all, for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is our sincere prayer. So, uh, just want to uh, reiterate that for, again, those who were not part of that meeting. Okay. Uh, well, with that, how about this? Why don't we go to the Lord in prayer? And, yeah, why don't we just really uh, ask the Lord to just open our hearts to his word and to lead us in this Lord's Prayer together. Our Father in heaven, uh, we seek to glorify your name. We hollow your name. Lord, your name is a name that is above all names. And we know that at the name of Jesus that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we pray, Lord, that your name would be glorified. We also pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, um, this is not easy. It's a prayer of surrender. And it's a prayer to say that we must individually but corporately die to our personal agendas and that we seek to advance your kingdom above all things in our life more than anything that you would give us a passion, that you would give us a heart that would be completely sold out for the advancement of God's kingdom here on earth. That we would put our family, our career, or those things second behind your glory. Uh, Lord, teach us what that means. And would you give us this day our daily bread, this day. Uh, not only do you give us our physical and emotional needs, but Jesus, you are, are, you are a true bread of life. And you are the bread that we, our hearts long after and seek for and are hungry for. So would you be the true bed of our hearts? And would you forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors? Again, this is not an easy prayer to pray. Uh, Lord, many times our hearts can be filled with resentment and it can be filled with um, not loving um, our neighbors as you call us to. But Lord, would you give us this day our daily bread? Would you give us the enablement to do what only you can call us to do and what you empower us to do by your spirit? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have uh, been going through the Lord's Prayer and uh, the last several weeks, and we talked about what each of these phrases mean, uh, breaking down our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, and so forth. And, and what, one thing that I just want to reiterate about this prayer, reemphasize, is that this prayer, to, to genuinely pray, um, we must genuinely come before God and seek for His glory above all things, right? To worship Him, uh, to have this intimacy with God, where we can call God our Father in heaven, um, to have this kind of relationship with Him. And as we are seeking God's glory and we are seeking to cultivate this daily intimacy with God, um, then we focus on the second half, which is our needs. Give us this day our daily bread. Um, we ask for the forgiveness of our sins as we talked about uh, last week and just the joy it is to come to Jesus and to be able to confess our sins, to be liberated, to be free from guilt um, by His power, His blood. And now uh, we come to really in this prayer what is the fifth request in this prayer, the fifth one, starting with hallowed be your name. And this fifth request that Helena read for us is, 
where Jesus says and teaches us, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Our debtors. The clearest indication of the reality of the gospel in our own lives is our ability to forgive others of their wrongs against us. This is the clearest indicator. Jesus ties our relationship to God with our relationship to others. You cannot separate the vertical from the horizontal at all. If we claim to love God, then we will subsequently seek to love people, those around us. And if we've received radical grace from Christ, if we've received the forgiveness of our sins, then we will also seek to forgive the wrongs that are done against us. Now, it's hard for me to actually overemphasize how important this is in the Lord's Prayer. This is so critical to God that it's the only part of the prayer that Jesus actually repeats after the fact. It's as if Jesus says, just in case you didn't get it the first time, let me emphasize this, let me emphasize this again. And he says in verses 14 to 15, after teaching us this Lord's Prayer, he says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is pretty startling. Jesus is telling us that to hold on to bitterness or to hold on to resentment against others is so hypocritical that it's really, he's saying, a sign that we're really not, not right with God himself. If we're holding on to grudges against people and we're holding on to resentments while we are seeking God's forgiveness for our own sins and wrongs, that this hypocrisy Jesus says, leads even to God, it says, withholding forgiveness according to him, according to what Christ says. Now, to better understand this idea, when we pray, Lord, forgive us our debtors, um, I think it's important to kind of understand the bigger backdrop behind this. And so, Helena read for us Leviticus chapter 19. And in these verses, um, Jesus, or actually in these verses in Leviticus 19, God tells us something that Jesus repeats for us. Leviticus 19.18 says, love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus takes these words, and then he calls it the second greatest commandment in all of Scripture. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 39, when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. This is the whole law, the prophets, all of Scripture can be summarized in these simple words right here. So what does this mean? Now, a lot of times when we think about loving people, I think sometimes we have a, um, we have a couple of misunderstandings of what this actually means, Okay. 
Sometimes we have this idea that loving people means we should be nice to people. Uh, nice is not actually the way to describe it. Like, in other words, we should just be kind, we should be nice, we should be friendly, uh, kind of like we describe it almost like we, we should be like customer-friendly type Christians, right? Just put on a smile, be warm, be friendly. This is the idea sometimes we have of what it means to love our neighbor as ourselves. But actually, this is not exactly what this verse is talking about. If you look at Leviticus chapter 19, and you look at the context, verses 17 and 18, um, it's not just asking us to be nice people, it's asking for something that's deeply, deeply challenging. In fact, verses 17 to 18, okay, so it's up there. It says, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take revenge or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, if you look at this context, right, love your neighbor as yourself, and you see it, see what's being contrasted to, you'll see that these words, this command, is specifically directed to say, love people who have wronged you really deeply. In fact, they've wronged you so deeply that you must be told not to hate this person from your heart. This, this sheds whole different light on this verse. Not to wrong this person, not to take revenge against this person. Don't maintain hostility against this person. Instead, you must do the opposite and you must love your neighbor or, as Jesus himself would put it, you must love your enemy. Love your neighbor as yourself. So, this is really not primarily about you just getting along with people that normally get along with you or extending love to, you know, people that are easy to extend love to. This is really about extending love to a person that you might have every right to be angry with, that you might have every, within just, even just, within your being, I mean, within your heart, you, you want to do wrong to this person. But instead, the Bible calls us to love. Now, what is love? And I, 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 we do need to understand that before we talk about forgiveness. This idea of love, again, sometimes we have a, I think we kind of have a, a very reduced version or understanding of this, but love is not primarily a feeling, right? So sometimes we say, I love you, or I love this person, or whatever. But the way the Bible describes love is not primarily a, an emotion, but it's an action. So the words hate and the words love that occur even in Leviticus 19, in these verses, um, again, we tend to think of these primarily as emotional, but what the Bible is actually exhorting us to do is to show love to this person. Uh, it's love 
or hate or those things. It's the Bible is calling us to, to express loving actions, express our heart's commitments. This is the idea of loving people around us. Now, when I was growing up, typical, you know, Korean-American family, Asian-American family, uh, my parents never said the words, I love you, okay? So words of affirmation were not in their love language, okay? That was not part of their thing. Uh, they never just cuddled us and say, you know, we love you like that. And sometimes I was confused because, you know, you watch like Brady Bunch or it's an outdated show, I know. This is like for the 40s on up, right? Um, and you just see this loving family and they're always saying, I love you and things like that. And it's like, well, my parents, I guess, don't love me. They don't express these things to me, right? <laughs> you guys, okay, never mind. I don't know what shows, okay, anyway. Uh, but that was like my model family, right? It's like, oh, they're so loving. They're so affectionate like that. But, you know, of course, you, you grow up and you realize, oh, no, actually, my parents did love me, right? <laughs> and even though they didn't say the words, I love you, they expressed it. They demonstrated it, right? They sacrificed. They worked hard. They showed it really through their actions, and really, that's closer to the biblical truth, right? Um, this is what the Bible's talking about when it says love. So in 1 John 3.18, John says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. The Bible emphasized love equates to action. And one day, a lawyer comes up to Jesus and ask Jesus, Jesus, well, who is my neighbor, right? You're, you're telling me to love your neighbor, but who is this neighbor? And then he gives this parable in Luke chapter 10. And of all the people, it's this Samaritan who shows and demonstrates this practical action of care and love. The person that no one expected. And the person who would normally be the enemy, the Samaritan, he's the one who shows real love in action and Jesus concludes the parable by saying go and do likewise what he did that's love he showed it he demonstrated it it's not just nice words of affirmation it's action and it is a commitment to doing good and showing kindness sometimes despite your natural feelings despite your natural feelings and this, these words, love your neighbor as yourself, is one of the most quoted verse, verses in the New Testament. These simple words summarize God's will that this is what he wants. When we pray, forgive us our, for, forgive us our debtors. Have you ever thought, right, think about the difficult people in your life. Right, think about whether it's coworkers, your boss, whether uh, students, teachers, whoever, right? Uh, think about that person, right, that you, you think about that's really, wow, this person's hard to love, right? Um, it could be a neighbor, you know, a literal neighbor, um, family member, whoever. But have you ever thought about it this way, that maybe the reason why this person is in your life is because God is actually using this person in your life to teach you how to love. Have you ever thought about that way? 
instead of thinking of this person as just a nuisance or as just, ah, this person is a source of real frustration in my life or this person has really, um, yeah, I mean, this person is just, you know, terrible or whatever. And just, have you ever thought maybe that the reason why this person is in your life is because this is exactly what God's trying to teach us the Lord's Prayer. Lord, forgive us our debtors. Help me, Lord, to love this person. Help me. My heart, my feelings don't naturally love this person, but help me to express practical action that would demonstrate your love. Um, it's easy to love those who love you, right? Even the Gentiles do that, Jesus says. Everyone does that. But can you love the people who don't love you and may even oppose you? Can you show love in real action to the person that's really difficult to love? This is what the heart of Leviticus 19 and the heart of the Lord's Prayer is all about. And this is what Jesus emphasized. So, love involves not primarily your feelings, but an action that's out of a heart commitment because you've experienced the gospel of grace in your own life. So the second thing I want to talk about is this, then, what is forgiveness? Well, love involves a choice to forgive, right? It involves a choice to forgive. If we remember the context of Leviticus 19, in which we're to show love to someone who's wronged us, it's very clear that loving your neighbor involves a choice to forgive uh, regardless of the hostility that was done against us. Now, when we have wronged someone and when we have done something that uh, has offended other people, what do you long for? You long for forgiveness, right? When you know that you've blown it, you know that you made a mistake, or you know that you even just did something wrong, um, what you're, you're desiring is you're desiring for that other person to not hold that against you. And what the Lord is saying to his people is, I want you to take the same act of love to others as I have loved you. This is what he's saying. And most people, most of us, when we seek to forgive, a lot of times we seek to forgive based off of a feeling of forgiveness rather than a commitment of Christ's love. So if I don't feel like forgiving this person, then, you know, I can't really forgive them, right? Why? Because they deserve to be wronged. They deserve, uh, you know, for what they said, what they did to me, uh, how they treated me, they deserve the opposite of kindness and love. In others, have this misconception about forgiveness as well, that it means that I simply overlook the wrong, that I just forget about it. But true biblical forgiveness is not just overlooking the wrong. Okay? It's not just forgetting about it. God never tells us to just simply ignore or excuse a wrong. He doesn't do that for us. He doesn't simply just excuse the wrong. He doesn't just ignore it. That wouldn't be just. 
what he does is he recognizes the wrong, the genuine offense, and yet, in his love, in his grace, he cancels that debt that was done against him. Now, I want to add a couple things here. Some, some debts or wrongs that are done against us are pretty minor. And, um, you know, sometimes maybe there's a harsh word that was spoken, right? Or someone said something in a way that the tone was not good. It was condescending or as patronizing or as harsh or, you know, critical or whatever. So, okay, that's not right, but it's okay. I could just excuse it. You just brush it off, right? Um, someone maybe, maybe again, a, a, crit- a criticism that was unloving. Uh, maybe someone close to you, uh, you know, didn't show a lot of care to you. They kind of neglected you a little bit. Um, so these are minor wrongs, okay? Proverbs 19.11 tells us good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Okay, so this happens on a day-by-day basis, right? Uh, Almost daily, I think we experience these minor kind of rubs, these minor wrongs. Well, the Bible says just let it go, right? Just kind of just let it go. If, If you can just, if you can do that, good on you. It's your glory, um, if you kind of let these little things build up in you, that's it's not going to go well, right? So we just shrug it off, and we show kindness. But oftentimes, the real struggle comes with the major things, right? The major offenses, the, the deep wounds. What if you were a victim? What if you're a victim of adultery, of being defrauded, or deceived by someone that you trusted, someone that, someone who really just betrayed you, um, then we're talking about the stakes are much higher. The bitterness, the disappointment, it's, it, can be, it can be tremendous. And forgiveness at this point sounds like a dream. Yeah, pastor, you just go on, just whatever, but you know, the reality, it's not so easy, right? And some people say, well, you know, I'd rather die than forgive that person. I'll never forgive this person. Um, I'll never forget, forgive them for what they did. But I want to share with you a couple things. And I'm not saying that this is easy. No one said it's easy. But I want you to keep in mind a couple things. Without forgiveness, I mean, Jesus' words are just so wise for living, but... If you hold on to resentment and forgiveness in your life without forgiving the other person, you will, in fact, die. And you will die in thousands of little ways. Bitterness will kill you. It will. And someone said that hatred is the only element that corrodes its container. The only element that corrodes its container. And while you hold on to resentment and unforgiveness, what happens is your soul ends up dying a thousand deaths in the process, right? It makes your soul cold and hard, uh, makes it just worn down. And so that's a practical reason just to think about. But that's not the most important reason. To be honest with you, the most important reason goes back to the gospel. It goes back to Christ himself. See, the real basis of forgiveness is in the last part of Leviticus 19, 18. 
here, when this command is given, you must love your neighbor as yourself, right after these words are these simple words where God says, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. The reason that we're to ultimately forgive and love even those who oppose us is because forgiveness and love spring out of the God who has richly and quickly forgiven us of our debts, of our sins. And the great debt that we have incurred against God is in his cancellation of these debts. This is the ultimate basis of how and why and the ability to be able to extend this to those around us. The reason why oftentimes we have a hard time forgiving is honestly we suffer from amnesia. Okay? Now, we suffer from gospel amnesia. We forget how great of a debt that we incurred against our holy God. We forget how easily and we minimize how easy, well, my wrongs are not that wrong. Or they're not that bad compared to this person's wrongs. And we shrink the cross. And we have a minimized idea of the holiness of God and the greatness of our debt. But Isaiah 53 says, Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. And then it says, by his wounds we are healed. The healing that we receive from God's love and forgiveness is what enables us to forgive others from our hearts, even while we are still healing. Even while we're still healing from the wounds. And we learn to take our enemy to Jesus. And we learn to choose to pray for them. As Jesus said, pray for those who persecute. Pray for, pray for your enemies. Bless them. Do not curse them. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said he lived in this time of uh, this uh, Nazi occupation. This, uh, um, and he says, I can no longer condemn or hate a brother for whom I pray, no matter how much trouble he causes me. But do we pray for them? To complete the forgiveness, to complete the healing, we must pray for those who hurt us. And we pray for their good. We pray for God's grace upon them. Corey Ten Bloom. Some of you have heard her name before. But Corey Ten Bloom is someone who experienced God's love in her life in a rich way. And her experience of God's love was not cheap. Her family and her had been imprisoned um, by the Nazis for giving aid to the Jews in World War II. And her father and her sister Betsy died as a result of some of the brutalities that they experienced in the concentration camps. Corey survived, of course, and um, she would travel the world and she would speak and preach everywhere speaking of God's love and His grace. And 
In one particular encounter, this is what she wrote about uh, a time that she had preached in Germany. She said, It was at a church service in Munich that I saw him, the former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room in the processing center at Ravenbrook. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly it was all there, the room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, Betsy's pain, blanched face. He came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fräulein, he said, to think that, as you say, he has washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine, and I, who had preached so often to the people in Blumendahl, the need to forgive kept my hand at my side. And even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I pray, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. God, give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. So I discovered that it is not our forgiveness on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on Christ. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives along with the command the love itself. See, ultimately, this action, the practical outworking of love, springs from a, a deep awareness of God's immense grace in our life, of the forgiveness that we received. And even though the feelings may not be there, we still take steps of action to extend and as we do so, the Holy Spirit, God himself, empowers us, changes us, conforms us in the process of obedience to his word. And I want to ask you this question, is there someone, as I started off asking you, is there someone, as you hear this word from God, that God is asking you to forgive? These people, this person, that have wronged you, uh, you know, they broke your trust. They betrayed you. And are there, is there someone that you're still holding on to this feeling of resentment? You're withholding that forgiveness. Would you take this person to Jesus, even right now? Would you seek to say, Jesus, forgive me, help me. I seek to forgive this person. Would you take this person would you, would you take these many offenses before God? Would you receive your healing from God himself? 
through what Christ did for us. And only when we do that, only when we show love to those who are difficult, do we become living examples of God's generous care and love for the entire world. And it cannot work any other way. So please uh, join me, and let's just take a moment right now. Um, I'm going to ask you just to come before God. But would you just come before the Lord right now and take this person in prayer? Lord, what you have called us to is hard. It's deeply challenging. Lord, it's easy to love those who love us. That comes naturally to my heart. But to love and to forgive and to extend practical outworkings of kindness to those who um, do not love me and do not have my best at heart and, in fact, some who may even oppose. Lord, that is, that is only possible by your Spirit. It's only possible by the experience of the great grace that we have been given through Jesus. Lord, teach us. Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray these things from our hearts. And Lord, teach us what it means that our great debt of sin has been nailed on the cross and we bear those sins no more but then teach us lord to pray forgive us our debtors the two we know in your sight are linked arm in arm and cannot be separated so help us to be the kind of people who reflect your generosity in this world because we've experienced the generous grace of jesus in his name we pray amen